Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and it's Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. And today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the past seven days. We'll get to those three questions in just a moment. But first, want to give a shout out to those watching live here on Facebook every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Always a pleasure to be getting your instant feedback to our uh, answers on these three important questions. To those watching on repeat, either on our YouTube channel for SMIE Consulting or our Facebook page, thanks for making us a part of your, uh, your journey each week. And of course, those that download the audio-only podcast to hear what our thoughts on these three important questions each week. So let's get right to this week's midweek roundup questions. First up, what do veterans and agents have in common in international education? Second, how important is post-study work to international students? And finally, where are up-and-coming markets for international students that the U.S. needs to pay attention to? So we'll tackle those three questions and more in this week's Midweek Roundup. Question number one, what do veterans and agents educational agents have in common when it comes to international education? Well, in most ordinary years, you would say not a thing. There are a few campuses around the country, including one of my university clients, where uh, you have a director over military affairs and international students. Uh, those are rare uh, in terms of where they, where they exist in our field, in, in particularly in the United States. But uh, where they have had overlap over the past few months, particularly since uh, the passage of the Thrive Act earlier in uh, the late summer, uh, which uh, had an interesting line in it that prohibited uh, institutions that are working with commission-based agents from receiving Department of Defense Veteran Affairs funding. So this caused a great deal of consternation when it first came out uh, in both military affairs units on campus as well as international education units on campuses that were already using agents, educational agents, as part of their international student recruitment strategies. It was put, a, put in place largely to reflect, I think, some uh, domestic trends that have, have been in place and are still in place that prohibit commission-based recruitment of, uh, for staff and salary, salaried positions on campus uh, for recruitment of individual students to uh, university campus. That, that's been in place for legally for, for domestic recruitment forever. However, international student recruitment has always been or uh, certainly has, has been seen in the United States as something that's increasingly accepted as a part of international student recruitment efforts by universities to pay, pay commission to agents who recruit students for your university where you pay a set price or a percentage of the tuition fee for each student that is recruited by a particular agent. So that's happening out in the wide world and has been for a number of years. Uh, and certainly since NACAC in uh, the early 20-teens uh, put together their commission to review uh, the state of affairs uh, related to international student recruitment, uh, and they decided not to prohibit it as part of their code of ethics, which had, had language had been in there previously that prohibited commission-based payments. But now it's, that's been removed, and frankly, 
Uh, now we're seeing over half or just about half of U.S. colleges and universities that recruit international students are using educational agents, commission-based educational agents as part of their strategy, some using it exclusively. So the, the conflict has come in with this Thrive Act uh, in that appeared earlier in the summer, late, late summer, uh, that was seen as an oops mistake by the authors of the bill. And there were a couple of different variations on or legislative uh, fixes that were proposed in uh, late September, early October. Uh, they've uh, one of those has clearly made it through uh, the process of uh, being reviewed by Congress and eventually getting its approval. Uh, that was called the Remote Act, uh, kind of a f uh, seen as a fix to uh, to do that. That passed uh, the U.S. House uh, just about two weeks ago now. Uh, and then just last week was passed by a voice vote by the U.S. Senate. So that rarely happens on contentious pieces of legislation uh, in the U.S. Uh, Congress. And it's usually uh, reserved for proclamations of, uh, of uh, honoring this day is now a certain, honoring a certain, certain person day. Uh, those things are um, uh, voice votes in the U.S. Senate, certainly uh, uh, where they don't even bother calling the roll, which can be, take quite a few minutes uh, and can be subject to delays and filibusters in normal circumstances when there are more contentious issues at, at stake. Here for this uh, remote act uh, as the fix, the legislative fix to, um, to the Thrive Act, uh, you've seen that passed by voice vote in the U.S. Senate this past week. And just this week, uh, I think it was on Monday, uh, President Biden signed the, signed the Remote Act into law, thus correcting uh, the potentially calamitous uh, Thrive Act uh, if it were let, let to stand and how that would impact uh, U.S. colleges that are recruiting or relying heavily on agents for their student recruitment. Uh, having just attended the ARC conference, certainly this was uh, an issue that obviously struck at the heart of what ARC is about in terms of setting educa uh, uh, educational agent standards for um, ethical standards and uh, uh, kind of certification standards for agents. And that ha they're heavily invested in that, as are the universities that are partnering with ARC. Uh, as uh, becoming members of ARC to understand more uh, the issues involved with agents. So the conference uh, had, I think, 50 or 60 agents, um, many, some, some of which are U.S.-based, but many of which were uh, overseas, uh, far fewer than they normally have because of uh, travel and restrictions and visas and vaccines and all the wonderful things that have uh, made international travel quite complicated recently. So it's good to see that uh, that has been taken care of. ARC certainly was on it early on when that first came up earlier in the, uh, in the, in the semester. Uh, and most, most international educators weren't getting too worked up about it uh, because it's, it's an obvious mistake uh, in the original legislation. And I think that we're seeing now that the, the, the overlap here that we see uh, with veterans and agent and uh, veterans and agents regarding universities and colleges uh, that re that use that either have veterans that are funded by Department of Defense funds, uh, GI Bill, and all those wonderful things, uh, or is it uh, are they using and or using educational agents to bring in international students? So that f most folks realized it was going to happen, and it, 
There was a little bit of brinkmanship going on here, pushing the deadline, as, uh, pushing the ball as far down the path as, as possible with other priorities taking precedent. The, the Biden administration's Build Back Better agenda and their act that had passed the House and was close to passing the Senate until this, this past uh, few days. Uh, that certainly was taking priority, and now that will probably take center stage again uh, in terms of what that might look like. But the, this fix happened and finally uh, was approved, and everybody can breathe a sigh of relief uh, so that this, in future this won't, these hopefully issues will not be intertwined unnecessarily again. But certainly uh, it's, uh, it reflects some gro just some growing, uh, I have, thankfully, uh, their legislative legislators who were responsive enough to realize, okay, to international education communities and higher ed associations that saw the error right away and uh, they, they fixed it within three, four months. So uh, legislative process can and does work when, when, need, when need be. And certainly this is a good reflection of that happening. So happy to see that uh, take place. Uh, certainly a sigh of relief uh, amongst institutions and certainly educational agents that are working with U.S. institutions because uh, the, certainly if U.S. institutions had to choose uh, this would be a, a very interesting debate if it were, if it ever were to happen. Uh, that, uh, uh, given given the fact that we're talking here about uh, institutions that might that might receive substantial numbers of international students from overseas through educational agents and also receive a significant number of veterans that attend their institutions or domestic students living in their area that want to come to their schools and the benefits the federal government money that comes to them as a result. The, the similar parallel that does affect international education uh, and government money uh, in the United States that we've seen over the last uh, two, three years has certainly been with Confucius Institutes. Uh, those institutions in the United States that had been hosting Confucius Institutes, one of the main factors that they have, aside from all the politics, but one of the public factors in terms of why they are cutting their ties with Confucius Institutes or closing their doors to them uh, is so that they can receive Defense Department funding for language training. Uh, so that in by law was prohibited that if you were receiving uh, if you were working with or had a Confucius Institute receive, receiving money from the Chinese government for language instruction, uh, Mandarin instruction, in, in, as a result of the, having the Confucius Institute, then you would not be able to receive these Department of Defense funding for similar, similar language training. So it's, uh, that's the only other time I've seen that kind of duality going on with, um, with dual purposes uh, that where bottom line dollars coming from the federal government made the decisions for a lot of institutions. So that uh, in, in this case with agents and, and agents, or veterans and agents, we're talking about a situation where probably US, U.S. institutions, if they would have to have chosen between agents and veteran sourced money, uh, you would think that priorities at their institutions, domestic, uh, uh, concerns uh, would would indicate that that the veteran money would have been more 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 uh, important to the overall institutional health and reputation. So 
it'd be interesting to see which way some campuses would have gone, uh, particularly those that maybe don't have a lot a high veteran population, but rely heavily on an on an agent on agent driven international student population. That could have been a very uh, contentious issue on a lot of campuses. So, so which way that they, they would have gone with it. So in terms of what uh, this story uh, means, it's probably uh, one and only time we'll talk about this on the roundup. We've mentioned the Thrive Act before and the necessary corrections that were needed. Certainly in our newsletter, we've been tracking that coverage for months and certainly have been reporting on that, on the successes this week by passing the House, the Senate, and then uh, receiving President Biden's signature this week. Uh, we've been reporting on that. and But this is probably the only time we'll cover it during the roundup. But it's an interesting intersection in higher education where you see competing interests uh, that actually come to agreement on, uh, on, on something that was clearly uh, an error in the initial act, the Thrive Act. So let's move on to question number two. How important is post-study work to international students? This is the question that I think more and more you're finding universal agreement in the international education community that having post-study work is almost a prerequisite for international students to consider coming to your institution. Uh, not every country, not every student is driven by uh, the opportunity for post-study work because they're always planning to come home and run the family business or they know they're going on for further graduate study and once they have that degree, then they'll worry about it. But for that initial student, that is looking to come to, maybe they're coming for an advanced degree. Um, maybe they're in a field that uh, is, uh, they, they know that they can get employment uh, uh, fairly easily once they've graduated. The attraction of post-study work is essential in certain markets and it's important in others. Uh, but I, universally, I would say that international students on the whole, not again, not, not brought, uh, overgeneralizing here, but on the whole, this is one of the most important issues. And we keep seeing this popping uh, when we see uh, a lot of surveys, uh, Into survey recently uh, had, had inf information about well, that we reported on uh, this past week uh, that uh, career outcomes are up to the top of the, near the top of the list for parents and students these days. And a lot of that may be driven by uh, p pandemic uh, impact on economies in, uh, in, in all across the world, but in certain families, um, they've become increasingly price sensitive too in terms of uh, uh, maybe they don't have nearly as much to spend on their son or daughter's education. So uh, they have to be more selective in terms of where they go. So we're at a point now uh, where I think, uh, and it's not just the United States where this is an issue, because uh, you see major destination markets, certainly we've seen Canada jump forward to the head of the line in terms of having the most open and friendly and uh, easy transitions from study to work and actually smooth, clear trend pathways that are, are used to recruit students. And they, they've made taken full advantage of that. Uh, in terms of their 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 countries and institutions in those in their country, uh, attempts to bring international students and attract international students. And when it comes to India, that's Canada's number one market. India is probably the most uh, work post study work driven market uh, out there. Uh, and that and how and we've, we'll talk a little bit about that in one of our stories here. But we're share we're sharing this question, the answer to this question as. It is an essential piece of a student's journey to finding that institution that's going to be right for them. 
Again, not every student, but for the lion's share of students where you're going to be interacting with in your student recruitment journeys, if they're not openly thinking about it or expressing it to you, it's on the backs of their minds and certainly on, on the minds of their parents who are paying the bills because the parents now want to know what are the likely outcomes for my son or daughter when they've graduated with a degree from your institution in terms of uh, either going on to graduate school right away, where are the kind of institutions that they can get into, what percentage go on to grad school, uh, or more directly, what are the work opportunities? How many get jobs in their field within six months of graduation? Uh, those are the kind of things, the data that you need to, be ha need to have in your back pocket that you can readily turn to. And yes, at most schools, if you have that data, it's largely going to be uh, universal for all graduates, not necessarily specific to international students. The, international, the universities that do have that data for international students, that post-study uh, work opportunities in terms of uh, where, uh, what percentage are getting jobs uh, right after graduation, those are the kind, that's the kind of data that you do actually do have at your fingertips. If you work with your international student services, scholar services offices, you have uh, access to OPT. It's going to require data that's in CVIS. You are able to find that data, uh, employment data, because the students are having to enter that now. But it does require some digging. It's not just one button you can click to get a full report of every place that your, your, your international students that are still on your books uh, have, have jobs. But it's, a, it's an exercise certainly worth doing. Uh, in terms of giving yourself a fighting chance to have answers uh, to questions that your uh, prospective students and their parents are going to ask you about work. If you have that, con that content ready to go, you have, ideally, you have the data that can say, hey, on the whole, international students, our graduates in general, will get 90% will get jobs within six months of graduation for those that are looking for jobs. We know that 30% of our, our graduates go on to graduate school right away uh, or further study, whatever it might be. Having that data is probably step one most important. Step two is having those anecdotal stories, having those success stories, those alumni success stories that can show, hey, these international students got jobs in their field. Here's what they're doing now. Uh, so get some that are a year out, get some that are two years out, get those alumni success stories 10 years out that can share through uh, quotes, uh, through video, through uh, chats that they're, they're willing to host for prospective international students. Those are the kinds of touch points where if you can add those into your recruitment strategy, if you can have that data readily available for responding to direct questions, but also embedding that in messaging out to your prospective audiences. Uh, those are the kinds of nuggets that go well beyond just how you talk about your institution as uh, a, how, whatever language you're using as a safe, secure, academically challenging, uh, financially affordable institution. Those are all great and important themes that just help describe your university, but also have in your back pocket, have in your comp plan, uh, those kinds of stories that relate to outcomes, that can talk about the data, that can talk about the successful alumni stories, that have those anecdotal uh, quotes that you can put in from your from your international graduates about how they've gotten jobs and what those jobs have led to uh, and how their time at your institution prepared them for those jobs. All of that is just recruitment gold and even basically basic currency you need to have 
to be successful long-term in recruiting international students, and particularly post-pandemic. I don't think we're out of it yet, but certainly as, as this pandemic carries on and the impacts of it are felt more broadly around the world, you will see increasingly students and parents focusing on outcomes. So make sure you're, if you don't have that information now, make sure you've put in motion the kinds of things that can help you gather the information, help you get those anecdotal stories that can help put together uh, a strategy for you uh, that can help use those successes, your data in recruiting the future students. Because this is all part of what we've been talking about with SI, SMIE Consulting for the last uh, last two years is the importance of focusing on the entire international student journey. And not just from prospect to enrolling on your campus, but from prospect till their alumni. And connecting the dots all the way through that process and having the kind of touch points not only about uh, affordability on the front end, safety on the front end, academic rigor on the front end, but then getting into uh, campus community uh, once they're on, enrolled and all the ongoing orientation things you need to be doing and informing uh, students of throughout the, their time on campus. Tying together the, the, the relationships with their, the key offices on campus that they're going to be working with, with academic advising, with housing, with uh, student affairs, uh, career services, alumni offices. Connect all of those dots together. Pa paint that picture of that entire international student journey and have clear and concise transitions from one to the next uh, uh, from the, uh, throughout their time on campus, either before they get here to the time they leave your campus. You want to have that complete story. And post-study work is going to be a very important piece of that puzzle that your future students and parents will want to know about. And certainly your current students are eagerly anticipating what their next steps will be when they're done. And having that data, having those uh, success stories, uh, connecting them to future, future uh, to graduates that can help them understand uh, not only what, what, what their experiences can lead to, but also future networks of, of uh, colleagues and graduate, for other graduates of, of your institution that they can be plugging into. Because that's an important piece. Make those connections all the way through because that's the value add that you have at your institutions that uh, you can leverage. Uh, most admissions offices aren't doing that because it's, that's not their function. But it certainly should be the function of whoever has SIO responsibility to be thinking about how this whole journey works and how all the pieces fit together on your campus specifically. So the post-study work piece, make sure that's an important part of your recruitment strategy uh, because it matters. Uh, it's not just all the fun stuff on the front end and how much fun they're, they're going to have once they're on your campus. It's the parents asking, what's my son or daughter going to be doing when they graduate from your institution? Show me some examples. Give me the data. Uh, so make, make the attempts now to start gathering that. And we can walk you through that if you have questions about that. So that's it for question number two. Let's get to our final question of the day. And that is, where are the student markets that are growing in terms of interest for the United States? And this is something that I think uh, is, is absolutely essential for, uh, for us as international educators in the United States to always be on the lookout. 
And I, I bring this up for a number of reasons because uh, colleagues, I, I, uh, I, I meet at conferences uh, who are, are pinging me for ideas on where, where they need to be spending some time if they're looking for new markets to, uh, to explore. Uh, I, I say you got to have some data that backs this up. Uh, for me, there's a lot of survey data out there. Uh, there are obviously lead gen sources that are also providing other, other pieces of the enrollment puzzle as well throughout the funnel. Uh, one of those, IDP Connect in uh, Truth in Advertising. I, I write articles for IDP Connect uh, on a series of topics throughout the year. We've done uh, topics on, on new, new markets before. We've talked about Vietnam. We've talked about other countries like that. Uh, what, what, and Brazil and, and a couple others. But uh, IDP Connect, they have some great data uh, for students that are using their various uh, search tools, uh, search platforms, hot courses, IDP uh, own, own student search platform that are tracking basically those that are looking to go to English-speaking destination markets. And they have specific data for every country, but you have to be a, a member of uh, um, uh, either uh, you signed up for IDP Connect services for for the lead gen sources. They give you ac can, you can get access to what they call their IQ tracker, IQ demand tracker. Uh, they have some fantastic data, which I think is is beyond just student survey data because it's real time data on where student what students are searching for destination countries destin uh, academic programs in terms of level of interest and i think that's that helps us institutions get a perspective on where where students are looking for in throughout the world uh, by having access to this kind of data because again it's all about your perspective if you think that international students are only looking at the united states and not other countries uh, you're missing the missing the point of what why students look for uh, look abroad for study. They're not just looking at the U.S. anymore. Uh, for many years, they've been looking at a variety of other countries. Uh, certainly, Australia, the U.K. have been traditionally our top two uh, countries that we're we're, uh, we're we're competing against for students. But you've seen Canada come up. You've seen China rise as an English-speaking destination because of the huge number of programs, over 3,000 English-language programs that they've had their institutions build specifically to attract uh, international students to campus, their, to their country. And the majority of international students that go to China are not going there to learn Mandarin. That's a, kind of an added benefit. They're going to study in English. And that's something that we, we miss, miss that trick here in the U.S. Certainly they've suffered quite a bit during the pandemic because they've been closed doors to everybody outside of NYU Shanghai students and maybe some Duke Kunshan students so uh, that have been able to get back into the country. Well, otherwise, they've been closed doors to, to returning and new international students that have all had to uh, do their education online if they wanted to participate in Chinese um, higher education. So uh, for a U.S. market, it's important to know we're in a global race for these international students. And the IDP folks uh, have a tracker that they use and they present to it some core data that shows this kind of athletes in a race uh, in different colors for different countries. And they show where you are, where your country is in comparison to the rest. Um, and it's interesting how uh, certainly in the wake of the Trump administration, the U.S. has been at the back of the pack for a lot of the things that international students are looking for. The, they, in terms 
terms of how they rate different countries. So what this IDP tracker data looks at and what, what it does reveal, this article that I'm sharing uh, focuses on three countries, Turkey, Thailand, and Indonesia. Uh, they all are ones that have in, in years past been in the top 20 uh, sending countries to the United States. I think many, most of them still are. But uh, what, we, what, what they're tracking through IDP, again, these are students that are using IDP sites, um, either Hot Courses or IDP's own platform, uh, that cover, I think, 20, between 20 and 30 million students a year are using these, these services. So it's not, uh, they're not, uh, there aren't huge swaths of, uh, in terms of the students that are on these platforms, again, aren't just coming to the U.S., they're going to Australia, U.K., Canada, wherever it might be. And they're not necessarily always the exact, like if you look at uh, our where uh, U.S. students, or international students in the United States, where they're coming from, it's not going to be exactly the same proportions, like it's not half Chinese or 34% Chinese as the current Open Doors data shares and 20% Indian. It's not like that. Uh, but certainly in terms of where the percentages are, India is certainly a lot higher. China is a lot lower. But for the student, if, if you are using RDP Connect, hot courses, whatever, for your, as part of your lead gen strategy in terms of the students that are using their platforms, you should be focusing on uh, three up-and-coming up countries, Turkey, Indonesia, and Thailand. Uh, in addition to India and Brazil, which are, have traditionally in the last three or four years have been at the top of uh, RDP's data charts uh, in terms of the numbers of students that they have coming through, uh, the, the RDP, uh, India and Brazil have traditionally been at the top uh, of those charts in terms of interest in the United States. Uh, they have also, um, but Turkey, Indonesia, and Thailand have been coming up, uh, uh, certainly up and down, but certainly within the top four to five countries that of student volume that are using IDPs Connect uh, services to search for U.S. institutions. So this is important in terms of the just the uh, just getting a, a sense of um, where the up and coming demand is. So outside of India, Brazil, looking by looking at Turkey, Indonesia, and Thailand, this article goes into a lot of the reasons why and places, uh, and they, they focus actually, interestingly, for Turkey, uh, when you look at top cities in the world in terms of where student interest is, looking at the United States, the number one, again, because based on the IDP numbers uh, in terms of where their students are, they don't have huge numbers from China, but outside of uh, uh, four IDP's numbers, uh, you're looking at Istanbul as the city with the most con concentrated interest in the United States. So if Turkey is on your radar, focus your efforts on, on Istanbul, uh, then on uh, Ankara, then on Izmir, uh, in terms of the three cities there. Uh, they do a similar uh, look at other countries uh, in, in Indonesia and Thailand. You see similarly uh, Indonesia, Jakarta, obviously the capital is going to have the uh, lion's share, 29% of all Indonesian cities that are looking at U.S. higher ed options. Uh, and then you look at uh, Thailand, Bangkok actually ranks second from the top, indicating significant interest from Thailand in the United States uh, in terms of the demand there. So 55% uh, of the Thai market uh, that's U.S. focused uh, is uh, in Bangkok, with Chiang Mai is, only, is just under 5%. So that's uh, the rest is scattered around the country. So these are this is some important data that I think uh, they focus on, and it's important. And they go into majors that are most interested 
students in those majors in those city or in those cities, what majors that they're looking for, that you'll hear that information in this article. So some really good stuff there. They also say some other emerging markets uh, for, that are focusing on the U.S. from Mexico, Vietnam, and Colombia, uh, each in the top 10 for, on the IDP numbers for a demand uh, for U.S. education. So definitely recommend checking these out. There's some great data here. Always need to have that data to justify why you want to do recruitment in certain areas. This will certainly help get you some of that. So hopefully this gives you some insight onto the student markets that are growing uh, some, from some of this IDP data. But hopefully you get a better sense today through all these issues uh, uh, as to what might some areas we might need to be focusing more on in our international student recruitment efforts. So until next week, which we will be having in our last roundup of the 2021, we'll have a retrospective look at uh, the past year and everything that's happened in international education, pandemic uh, impacted and otherwise. I will take a retrospective look at 2021, as everybody likes to do at the end of each year, and we'll, we'll be up fresh again in the new year uh, in early January with our first roundup of 2022. So until next time, we wish you all the very best and have a very Merry Christmas and a happy New Year. Cheers.